0: Uh, I I haven't had injuries in in a while. I did, this was a long time ago now, but in high school I did break my tailbone, so that wasn't fun. Yeah, I was sledding the things that happened in Buffalo. Um, Tonight I get to talk on a passage from the prophet of Ezekiel. I'm really excited. I love this book and I love the prophets. I just think what we've seen these past few weeks and what we're going to see today is just God's grace in the Old Testament in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of the ways that we've walked away, his unending love, and I don't know about you guys, but I just, I'm really excited that I get to, to serve a God like that. Um, tonight's also a special night for me because my Aunt Lynn and Uncle Mark are here. Um, yeah. <laughs> just the nice wave. I always tell people, if, they're, if you are looking for them, just look for the shortest person and the tallest person in the room, and then you have found them. Um, but we're really excited to have them, they're just visiting, um, visiting us here, they're huge supporters of AUKI Alpha, constantly praying for you guys and fa- praying for our community, so um, we're really glad to have you and it's a special night for me. You might be asking um, what side of the family they're on. That's a great question, because the answer is both. Um, so my mom's sister married my dad's brother. I know. In other words, sisters, two sisters married two brothers. Um, I know that sounds like incest. I promise you it is not. It is not. Um, It's really normal. You might also be wondering then what what my parents look like. Well, you just can look at them and just look no further. Um, I actually, like, every sibling looks alike, right? But I I have pictures to to show, so (laughs) surprise guys so the first one uh, this was snapped a couple Christmases ago not only are they basically like looking in a mirror but they're wearing the same outfits. you can't really tell they're both wearing solid color sweaters with scarves with with indoor scarves and their hands are exactly the same my mom the only difference is she's hugging a unicorn Um, so there's some more pictures Uh, let's go to the next one I love this one um (laughs) Right, <laughs> crazy. This, this was the year that they both dressed up as my grandma for Halloween. Uh, yep. And th- so, so that's my mom and her, her sister, my Aunt Lynn. And then um, next picture, there's my dad and Uncle Mark. Uh, as you can tell, um, they both also share a love for donuts, apparently. Uh, so that's the hillside of the family. And so um, my mom will often talk about how she accidentally snubs people like in the mall because she's walking and then later realizes, oh, that woman was smiling at me because she thought I was her sister. Um, Or I I was my sister, I guess she would say. Um, So it's not just them who look alike. Now they've got four kids and me and my sister. So naturally we all look alike, which is kind of creepy. So I've got some pictures of of some of my cousins. This is me and my cousin Kirsten. It's kind of hard to tell with the shadow. Obviously I got the tall jeans on the hillside um, she got the Kotecki jeans. Also awkward, I almost wore that shirt today, so I'm um, glad I made a different choice. And then I've got another picture of my other cousin, Courtney, and her daughter, Maggie. And this is my sister, Olivia, and her child, Brunch, because she's as basic as they come. Um, so that's a little bit about my family, and we don't just um, look the same. Uh, You can probably take that down. They probably would both be embarrassed by that, being up for a long time. Um, We don't just look alike, but we also have a a ton of similarities, right? So we have similar mannerisms, personalities, characteristics. One of those is um, our apparent inability to keep our reptile or amphibian pets alive. So I had a number of them growing up. I had three frogs, all of which died very quickly. Um, I also had three newts, which are like salamanders, and they're probably dead, and I say probably, and this is not my fault. Um, when I went away to college, my parents let them go in the creek, so um, they were not really cut out for a life in the wild, so I'm pretty sure they're dead. Um, my, cu- my cousins had a, a gecko, and there's a story in my, our family that's legend about the gecko. So. What happened to them, you know, back in the day, like happens to most people, I, I think, with lizards, is someone left the top of the cage off. And like Dart and Stranger Things 2, it got out. Different end of the story, do not that, That's where the analogy stops. Um, and so it got out, and it was gone, it got lost, probably got killed. Um, you know, they live out in the country, so an animal probably ate it. Well, months later, my cousin Andy is in the bathroom, getting ready for bed, brushing his teeth. And he looks over, this is months later, looks over into the tub, and there's the gecko. And the gecko, by this point, is translucent. Half of its tail is gone. It's way smaller. And he starts freaking out, and he runs into my aunt and uncle's room. I, I think this is, this is second-hand, so don't correct me if this is wrong. It's for the sake of the story. Um, he goes running into their room, and he's like, stuttering and he's freaking out with toothpaste in his mouth and they're like what is it and he's like it's the ghost of the gecko (laughs) turns out it wasn't his ghost it didn't come back to life because that doesn't really happen um it was very much alive but um in fact he (laughs) sadly died shortly after (laughs) he lived a perfectly fine life Tonight we're going to talk about uh, this passage in Ezekiel where we're talking about the kingdom of God and how he brings life to dead things. If you want to turn with me to Ezekiel 37, we're going to get there in a minute. It's a story that is about the Valley of Dry Bones. And as you turn there, I'm just going to give a little, a brief background of the, the book of Ezekiel. At this point, Israel is in exile in Babylon. They've sinned, they've turned away from God. They don't choose him, and they've broken his covenant. Ezekiel's a priest, and he did all these signs and these acts to try to warn Israel of their sin, that they've broken their covenant, to warn them about the coming destruction, that they're about to be captured by their enemies. And we see, um, Josh mentioned this in, when, and he, as he talked about Isaiah a couple weeks ago, that even though God is loving and he's gracious, he's also perfect and can't tolerate sin. And so this was the thing This destruction was needed in order to restore this covenant because God couldn't live with sin. This was the only way that Israel could come back to the Lord. And so we see up until chapter 33 of Ezekiel, it's all talking about the destruction of of Israel, the fall of Israel. And then um, from chapter 34 on, we see a new hope for Israel. And that's where we're picking up in chapter 37, after he's told of their exile and their captivity. And this is where Ezekiel picks up in 37 verses 1 through 14. You can read along with me in your Bibles, or um, it'll be on the screen. This is what Ezekiel says. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said sovereign lord you alone know then he said to me prophesy to these bones and say to them dry bones hear the word of the lord this is what the sovereign lord says to these bones i'll make breath enter you and you will come to life i will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin i'll put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that i'm the lord verse 7. so i prophesied as i was commanded and as i was prophesying There was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So what we see in this passage is that Ezekiel's talking to the people of Israel, and after they, they've been exiled, he has this vision. The Lord takes him to a valley, and he sees a valley of dry, dead bones with no life in them. And the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to them, to speak into them, and he sees flesh form. He sees it build up. And these bones come come living and they walk and this these bones represent israel and uh, their brokenness their spiritual darkness their spiritual death and in this prophecy he, he prophesies to the bones and brings them to life i love this passage because if it doesn't scream hope i don't know what else does i want us to look at four main points that i i see in this passage we're going to go through each one of them, and then um, we'll respond. Point number one that we see in Ezekiel 37 is that the Spirit of God brings life to dead things. The Spirit of God brings life to dead things. Within that, okay, what does that mean about God? Well, one, I think we see his power. We see the power of God. In verse 2, it says these weren't just bones, but Ezekiel says these are very dry bones. Like there's no life in them they're goners, but not to God, right? Let's look at verse 14. It says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. When the Lord speaks, all bets are off. When the Lord speaks, there's life that comes into dead things. This kind of goes back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis where God breathes into Adam and life appears and we're seeing here that God had to remake life because Israel had turned away so he's remaking life he breathes and life appears so we see the power of God in this we also see the sovereign understanding of God look at verse three it says Ezekiel says he asked me son of man can these bones live I said sovereign Lord you alone know Ezekiel responds with you alone know In my mind, that's kind of code for, like, they look pretty dead to me, but I'm sure you're going to prove me wrong. Like, you're the boss. What we see through this is that God's understanding is beyond ours. He knows way more than we could know. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, the Lord speaking, and says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your heart, your thoughts. The Lord's understanding is beyond ours. We also see this reckless love of God through his ability to bring life to dead things. We've been singing this song in the past few weeks called Reckless Love, the overwhelming, never-ending reckless love of God. And there's this kind of funny controversy that's happening in like, Twitter, which is where all good controversy happens, of course, where people are not really thrilled with this writer's use of the word reckless because is God reckless? Does he make decisions that, you know, aren't smart or are rash? or He doesn't think through. And it's funny because another worship leader, John Mark McMillan, is coming to his aid saying, don't change the word reckless, which he's the one who wrote the, the word sloppy wet kiss and everyone tried to change it to unverseen worship leader humor. Um, But I think the importance of the word reckless here is because in our world, in our understanding, what God did was totally reckless. The fact that he went after something that was just futile, after people who, who chose to walk away from him, who were serving other gods to us, in our world, that's reckless. Luke 15 talks about, as Ray brought up earlier, talks about Jesus as the good shepherd, And in Luke 15, it tells a story of Jesus, as the good shepherd, he will leave the 99 sheep who are safe and obedient and stayed with him. He will leave them to go find the one disobedient sheep who who wandered off, who left and got lost. He'll leave the 99 to find the one. In our understanding, that's totally reckless. In God's character and in God's understanding, he knew exactly what he was doing. And he said that that was all worth it. This passage shows us the character of God in spite of us. Our sin doesn't change God's character. So we see the reckless love of God and we also see the hope in God's promise. Even the most dead, hopeless things are not hopeless to God. Even when the Israelites walked away from him and turned from him, he didn't give up on them. Like, I've given up on some of you responding to my emails, you know? You're like, oh, that's too close to home. Um, But God, he didn't give up on the Israelites when they turned away from him. There's a hope that what God's promised, he'll bring to completion. The promise at this time was this covenant that he made, that a Messiah would come, that they'd have a king, that he would live with them. And they're waiting, right? They're waiting for that. And this is a passage about hope for that. Psalm 145, chapter 13, or Psalm 145, verse 13 says that the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. I read that this week and that rocked me because there's some promises that I've been clinging on to in my life, or my family has been clinging on to, that we maybe haven't seen, some of these things haven't, had an answer, we haven't seen come to completion yet. Some have come to completion, we've seen God move. Uh, This week there were some promises that God answered in my life. And this passage has, has rocked me because it reminds me of the hope that God is true to his word and he's true to do what he's promised. So that's all point number one, which is that the spirit of God brings life to dead things. That was a long one, it's by far our longest ones. One, the the other ones are going to go quicker. Number two, what we see in this passage is that we've been given authority to speak life into death. We've been given authority to speak life into death. Look with me at verse four. We're going to jump around a little bit. This is what it says. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Jump to verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and, I was, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. To verse 12, Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. He commands Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones. When Ezekiel prophesies to the bones, they come to life. The same power that allows God to bring life to dead things, it flows through us. We have the ability, the authority to speak life into dead things, into dead situations. Acts 1.8, we see in the New Testament, says that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. Later in Acts, in chapter 3, we see Peter, an apostle of Jesus, who heals a lame man. And he says, what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. What I have, I give to you. We have authority, we have power through the Holy Spirit to speak life into dead things. Point number three is that sometimes we're stripped down to our bones to remove the distractions. The Israelites needed everything to be stripped away in order for them to see God and to see that they had turned from him and to come back to him. See, by this point, they had ignored all the warning signs, and now the rot was in their bones. It was deep down. In the words of Dallas Willard, he says that God wants to renovate our hearts. He wants to get to the core of who we are. And I think sometimes it takes getting through a lot of muck in order to get to it. It takes removing the things that we've built around it so that God can get to the core. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's not always happy and it's not always fun. It's usually pretty painful because we've built up a resistance to that to get through, to penetrate into there. It takes some work. Um, Back when I was in elementary school, I did a a short stint as a bike racer with the boys in my neighborhood. And you don't seem impressed, but I'm not going to brag too much, but I definitely won every race. And the street that I grew up on uh, was a a little hill, and so we would have all these races, and we had this one night where we were all racing, and we were about to end, and then we were like, okay, one more race. Famous last words, right? Let's just do it one more time. Well, one thing leads to another. My shoelace gets caught in the chain. You know, I'm falling off my bike. I'm rolling down the pavement. And I had this huge gash in my elbow. I mean, this probably happened probably 18 years ago now, and I still have the scar on my elbow. And when my mom was wrapping it up, she could see through to the bone i know sorry sorry i know that's gross the point is that it takes a lot it takes a lot of pain sometimes to get to it to get down that deep to our bones but if god wants to get to our core sometimes it takes getting down there and removing the distractions now i also want to give a disclaimer that it's not always about this it's not always about the distractions in our lives It's not always based on what we've done or or haven't done or the effort that we've put in. It's not about necessarily the distractions. One great example of that is the story of Job in the Old Testament who lost everything, his health, his family, everything. And it wasn't about anything that he did or didn't do. It was about God and God's sovereignty. So I do think it's important for us to not view our faith all based on works and our own effort, because sometimes it works and circumstances, they're not related. But I do think it's important to think critically as we read this and as we examine our lives to ask what God might be trying to say, what he might be trying to do. And for some of us, that might be that there are distractions getting in the way from God renovating our hearts. So sometimes we're stripped down to our bones to remove those distractions. The fourth thing that we see in Ezekiel chapter 37 is, I'm going to steal this from Pastor Jonathan as he spoke on it last week, but that it's our choice to get up and walk. Pastor Jonathan said that it was a choice, that faith is a choice. And I'm going to be honest, I think a lot of us, sometimes we choose to stay dead. We don't choose to stand up on our feet and to walk. Trust faith, belief in God and his promises, it does elicit a response. It does take action. It does take standing up and being part of that vast army we see in verse 10, to stand up on our feet and to walk. One question with this is, are we doing everything to seek him? Genesis 32 talks about Jacob who literally wrestles with God physically wrestles with God in order for God to bless him like he has a fight with him and God gives in and blesses Jacob that's a crazy story but Jacob did everything to receive that blessing he sought God he fought him until God blessed him my pastor Mark Batterson we've said this we've said this many times he says to pray like it depends on God work like it depends on you grace isn't a uh, or grace is opposed to earning, we can't earn our faith, we can't earn favor, but grace isn't opposed to effort. And my challenge is, if we are, are wanting more of God, if we want to feel him, if we want to be in his presence, are we doing everything to get there? Are we doing everything to be with him? It's not just based on our efforts, but I don't think that's an excuse to sit back, and to not pray, to not seek his face, and and then to get angry when God doesn't show up or when we feel like God doesn't show up? Are we doing everything to seek him? Again, it's not always about effort, and for some of us, we might be making a choice to, to seek after God. Job, he continued to seek after God and continued to put effort even in the waiting. So again, we have to think critically about where we're at and what God's trying to speak to us and where this applies specifically in our own lives, and honestly, that might be different than the person sitting next to you. It probably is. Some of us are making this choice to seek him, to follow him, to believe in his promises. And for those of us who, who might be choosing that, who are in that spot, will we walk in righteousness and trust in God's promise, even in the waiting? I know there's some things in my life that I'm still waiting on God to provide the answer, for God to, to reveal his promise and to bring it to completion. Will I continue to walk in righteousness as Job walked in righteousness and continue to seek God, even in the waiting? And that's where I think hope comes in. There's a hope in God's promise that what he says is true, what he says he'll do, he will do, and that we can trust in his timing, even when we don't see it yet. Lamentations three twenty one. Jeremiah in in Lamentations is just at his lowest point. He's far from God. He doesn't feel him. He's full of afflictions. And then in verse 21, he says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We see this thread throughout the Old Testament. From the beginning of time this thread of a promise that god's going to complete and ultimately spoiler alert that's the coming of jesus everything in the old testament leads up to jesus this coming messiah the israelites they had to wait one in exile in babylon for like 70 years and then after they get out of exile they still have to wait another 500 or so years before the messiah even comes they're in a season of waiting as well It's a choice to act on this hope, to act on on the faith that God, what he promised he'll do, and to not act on our circumstances and trust our circumstances. And it's also a choice to trust in God's timing, his sovereignty, and his plan, and that it's greater than ours. And the world tells us that that hope isn't realistic, that it doesn't make sense, that it's not worth the wait, that it's not going to come. It's so easy to fall into that, Um, that what he said, if you have to wait that long, it's not worth it, that that gecko can't come back to life. In Proverbs, it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That takes an action. Lean, that's an action verb. Lean not on your own understanding. It also means to lean on God's understanding. It's a choice to get up and to act and trust in the promises that he has for us and like I said this covenant it's ultimately restored through Jesus through this coming Messiah everything in the Old Testament from start to finish it all leads to Jesus this is the hope that the Israelites were riding on from the beginning of time and if we miss that we've missed the whole point of all of it because Jesus is, is the hope that we have Jesus Christ is the hope that we have So the question with all of this, I guess, is now what? Right, like how do we apply what we're talking about? How do we process this? Because we can read all of this, we can talk about it, but if we don't go any further than that, then this is just a book. But we believe, I believe, that this book changes lives, that it transforms our lives, and that Jesus is in the business of changing us. So what does that mean for us? Some of us in this room, are hearing this and maybe we just need to be encouraged in hope, encouraged that and reminded that the Spirit of God brings life to dead things. This is a word for you to, to keep on keeping on, to keep seeking his face, keep praying, keep speaking life into death, keep prophesying to the dry bones. It's a reminder that God is powerful and he brings life. And tonight I think As I was praying about it this morning, I just feel like God, for some of us, he might just be saying, and maybe what you need to hear is, I know you, I hear you, I see you. Would you keep seeking me? God hasn't forgotten. He doesn't forget his promises. And tonight, some of us probably just need to be encouraged in that, encouraged to keep hoping. For some of us, God might be asking us to rekindle an old promise, an old dream, something that he's promised us that maybe we've forgotten about or we've not seen come to pass, that we've given up on. We've been given authority through the Spirit to speak life into that. Are there things in our lives that that God might be asking us, hey, bring that back up? You remember that promise I made to you? Don't forget it. Don't forget that I've called you to this. Maybe it's it's a calling or it's uh, a vision. You know, I'm thinking about family members of mine that we had a vision for their future. Continue to claim that and to pray over that. God wants to bring new life to the deepest, the darkest, the driest parts of us. Can we rekindle those old promises, those old dreams and those visions that we've had? And then for some of us, we might actually need to just change what we're doing. Maybe we were walking in in sin um, like the Israelites were, walking away from God, not choosing to walk in righteousness. And maybe God tonight is calling us to start walking in righteousness, to start following him. Maybe for some of us we've given up hope because these dreams and these these promises feel so far away. We've given up hope, we've given up trusting that God's good, given up trusting that God's going to fulfill what he planned back in the day. Tonight, maybe we're called to change what we believe about God, to start trusting in him again, to start believing that he is who he says he is in his word, and trust that he's good and brings his promises to completion. And some of us might need to change how we're seeking him. Maybe we're in a place where we're angry because we don't feel like we're in his presence and spending time with him, but are we spending time daily in his word? Are we praying? Are we asking for more of him? Are we seeking his face? Are we spending time in worship? Maybe God's asking us to change how we seek him. As we close tonight, um, the band's going to come up, and I'm going to ask everybody if they would just bow their heads and close their eyes where they're sitting. And this, as we always say, it's not um, something extra spiritual. It's just a way to remove distractions um, in a room that could be full of distractions. For some of you, you're processing all this and God's moving in you to, to respond in one of these ways. Maybe it's to rekindle these old dreams, these old promises. Maybe it's to just be encouraged and hope. Maybe it's to change, change up something, change what we're doing, start walking in righteousness. And I know that there, there very well might be some people in this room who you're listening and you're saying, I've never even heard this before. I don't know anything about this. This is the first time I'm hearing of this. I've never experienced this God, this reckless love that you've talked about, this promise. I've never experienced any of that. And this week as I'm up here talking tonight about just how overwhelmed I am by this reckless, amazing, unending love and grace that we receive that I didn't earn a second of it. I didn't deserve any bit of it yet he gives it to me. The promises that he's put into my life from day one, he's going to bring to completion. I've seen him bring a lot of those to completion. Some of you might be thinking, she kind of sounds like a lunatic. And some of you might be thinking, I've never had that, but I want that. I've never experienced that, but that sounds like something I really want to seek. The easy part is that it just all starts with a decision. A decision to start seeking God and just start seeking this relationship, seeking the promises that He has for our lives, the stories that He wants to write for us. And as we process this and how we want to respond, if that's you, if you've never experienced that, but you want to start, you might be saying, I don't really know what this means, but I want to look into it. You might be saying, Hey, I'm ready to make a choice to follow Jesus. If that's you as uh, where, where we at, we're at right now, just from your seat with all, all of the, the eyes closed, um, would you just raise your hand? God, your love is so amazing and unending. And I've never earned a bit of your grace. I've never done anything to deserve what you did for us. But you give it to us freely because you love us. Jesus, tonight, wherever we're at, would you rekindle some of these promises? Would you remind us of your goodness, of your plan, of your love for us? God, tonight, would we see breakthrough in our lives? Would you speak life into the driest places of our lives? the things that we thought were dead, God, would you breathe life into them? God, I pray for emotional healing tonight. God, I pray for those of us who, in our, who have been praying for family members who aren't following you tonight. I just pray that there's a spiritual breakthrough in their lives. Jesus, I pray for physical healing, that you just bring new life physically into our bodies to the bodies of the people that we love and to our family members. Jesus, we trust that that's what you're in the business of, that your spirit brings life. God, and for any of us who have never experienced this, don't know any of this, God, would you speak to us tonight? Would you reveal who you are and what you have for us and your just unending love for us, God? Tonight, would you speak into the driest places? Would you speak into the dry bones? And we pray this so that you are glorified, that your name is made known, that we know you fuller, and that the world knows you and the life that you bring. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you guys stand with us as we worship? Tonight, um, If you responded to any of those things or need to process this, there's going to be some staff and some student leaders on the side to pray with you as they are every week. I encourage you to come pray with one of us and process this, or to talk to your small group leader who's sitting with you, or if you're brought here by a friend or you're sitting with friends, turn to your neighbor and maybe process this with them. If you need prayer, I encourage you just to be affirming each other and to pray with each other and process this together. We're going to respond with a song of worship. And I just pray that that we would be able to respond in the way that